0: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. <laughs>
1: Park He's bigger than life. Facing a thousand deaths and you only live twice, and twice is the only way to live. We're too late. Well, at least he died on the job. Bond is dead. Bond is alive. Kill Bond! Double O Seven
2: Tiger said, From now on, you must do everything in Japanese style.
3: Everything. Hello and welcome to SmirchPod Pod Royale, a podcast celebrating all the Bond films by those who enjoy, hate, or, you know, just aren't asked about them. Hosted by me, John Rain. This week we'll be heading to the Far East to indulge in some Oriental escapades in order to try and find out just who has been taking too many capsules. Yes, it's You Only Live Twice. And joining me to fake our own deaths and give Dicko Henderson a wide berth is actor, comedian, author and former singer Charlie Higson. Hello. Hello there. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that up. <laughs> How are you?
2: I'm, I'm good, yeah. No, there was a bit of a pause. I just, do I say hello now or do you say hello first? Oh, I know. The, just... the formalities of these things.
3: Yes, if you're not in the
2: same room, you know what's going on. I know, I know. But uh, no, I'm I'm very well and it's uh, it's lovely to be, uh, be here. It's lovely to have you here. So is this a particular favourite of yours? It is, in many ways. It, it, often, because I've written young James Bond books, mm. Uh, I get asked about James Bond a lot. Yes. And it always comes up. like, what's your favourite James Bond film? And people's favourite James Bond film, you know, you have different reasons for them being your favourite. But I often say that You Only Live Twice is is my favourite, mainly because I was at exactly the right age Mm. um, when it came out. So I I was born in 1958. And, you know, Bond it's hard to get across to people just how massive Bond mm. was in the 60s. What an extraordinary phenomenon mm. it was, and how it dominated cinema. And, you know, for me, going to the cinema meant going to see a James Bond film in in many ways. But then, you know, I remember everything about the release of, of You Only Live Twice, the big the build up to it, the watching the you'd get the little uh, sort of programs on the TV of wow. uh, the sort of making of and behind the scenes. You know, hmm. Blue Peter would do a bit on it and someone else there would be bits about Little Nelly. Uh, and there were uh, like uh, collectible cards that you could collect at the time. And I, I bought those. And of course, the, the toys start appearing sometimes before the films are out. So the, the, the amount of excitement going into that film Oh. was just extraordinary for a, for for a young boy. Um and th- you know the film the film delivered for a mm. young boy it has it has so many iconic elements it in it. Um you know it's got the classic blowfelt with mm. with Donald Pleasence mm-hmm. uh who, be, who became the sort of uh gold standard of of, of what a Bond villain should be yeah. mean, so much that um uh Austin Powers it, it, is it? God, my mind's gone black. Like Dr. Evil? Dr. Evil, yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's, he's totally based on Blofeld. Mm. And, you know, Donald Pleasant's there. He had the lot. He was bald. Yep. He had a scar. He had the white cat. He had the weird Mao suit. He had a tank full of piranhas. <laughs> you kind of think the next Bond villain comes along, he says, well, you might have left something for me. Yeah. You've, you've taken it all, Donald. <laughs> uh, and he had a base inside a volcano. Mm. You can't uh, beat that. You can't. No. There's no way you can top that. And you know, as a boy seeing that for the first time where the, the lake opens up mm. and you think, My God, he's got a rocket inside a volcano mm. with a removable roof. Uh it was just brilliant. I mean the, obviously now looking back, there's a quite a lot of dodgy aspects to it, as there were to many of the Bond films. But yeah. you know, f- for me at the time, it was just absolute heaven. And so it will always have a, a, a place in my heart.
3: Yeah. Well, we, we kick off in space. Yes, with Jupiter 16, a NASA space shuttle capsule thing, um, which is basically going to get nicked. Um, a big rocket comes up with Russian markings on it and eats it.
2: Yeah, fantastic! What a
3: way to start oh, a film. So you feel sorry? For, I feel sorry for Chris, the astronaut, though. Yeah, he gets he gets he gets the snip. He gets the snip, and I
2: The the really interesting thing about this film is it it came out round about the same sort of time as 2001. Um, In fact, I think it might have actually come out a bit sooner because Mm. it sort of feels like often Bond would respond to. Yes. You know, as like Moonraker. Star Wars was was massive. So Moonraker, he went up into space. Yeah. Um, And I if I'd done my research properly could kind have of properly given you an answer to this of mm. did they know 2001 was going to be a big hit or had they had it been out in america I, I just don't know and it was interesting because i was watching 2001 recently having mm. not seen it for a long while and i was really looking forward there's a famous bit in that where we have the spacewalk yeah and the guy's outside and hal takes over the spaceship and i was really looking forward to the moment where the um the doors snap shut and cut through his um air pipe mm. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't happen. No, it only happens in. It only happens in this. In you only live twice. And I'd completely got the two confused. And and actually, you know what? I think it's better.
3: Oh, I think it's in much you much only better. live twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'll be a bit out of place in two thousand and one. I think.
2: But it does. I mean, it's the same thing. Roughly happens. Mm, it, yeah. he, he does get. He 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 gets cut off and goes flying off out of space, dead. But. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, it's uh, utterly ludicrous to invent this giant rocket with a
3: huge opening mouth that that that, that
2: swallows another spaceship.
3: Could, they could probably have just stolen the rocket before it took off or something.
2: Yeah, and then to actually bring it back yeah. and hide it,
3: mm. uh,
2: it, I mean, that must have cost a fortune. Mm. But yeah. as we know, you know, the, the, the Bond villain, the, uh, Blofeld, is pretty much Elon Musk, isn't he?
3: He is. He's also in charge of the whole of Spectre, so he's probably got a few quid tucked away anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I do want to know what happens to Chris. I think we need justice for Chris. Because <laughs> he never got a burial or anything.
2: He's out there. He's he floating around. He's orbiting the earth with, with the guy from 2001.
3: <laughs> it's been like that bit in Airplane 2 where they look out the window and those two guys are waltzing past the window. Oh, I don't remember that. Oh, it's probably best you don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so basically the Americans now think that the Russians did it. So they have this big meeting inside this giant golf ball. mm um,
2: marvelous piece of um oh, ken adam yeah. um set design there i mean he yeah. was such an important part i mean that that amazing uh, room with a huge it's with a, a huge sort of paintings and things on the walls are not they? Mm, yeah it's beautiful i mean i do remember at the time as a kid thinking oh this is one of the talking scenes um, <laughs> but but it does it does look amazing to to have a talking scene on a set like that it's kind of
3: uh, you appreciate these things more as you get older. Oh, definitely, definitely. And the the guy from the Soviet government he looks a bit like James Robertson Justice, which I found confusing as a kid because I thought it was him. It probably wasn't. No, it definitely wasn't. <laughs> no, I'm sure it wasn't. But the the US now announced that in 20 days they're going to be launching another capsule, and any interference will be an act of war. Mm. So thank a, God. Is asking for trouble really? Isn't it really it? is. Just leave it a bit. But thank <laughs> God we've got Robin Bailey from Britain who says, oh, calm down, you two. We know it's not you, either of you. It's In fact, we've picked it up from a tracking station in Singapore, and we think it came down the seas of Japan. And we get a classic Bond bit here where he says, we've got our man working on it right now, but he's in bed with a lady. Oh, the <sighs> cheeky monkey. He really is. He's doing some awful pillow talk as well, talking about how uh, Japanese women taste different. Yes, that has become one of the classic... Um, oh dear yeah uh, james bond lines yeah he says it's like comparing peking duck and caviar <laughs> what the fuck is he talking about
2: <laughs> you've obviously never had peking duck and oh, caviar
3: obviously not no no <laughs> i haven't lived but she shuts the bed on him and two men come in a machine go him to death
2: yes oh. again another massively over elaborate mm. um plot yeah. device uh but you know as a kid oh you go and see this the bed gets shut up you think what the film's only just begun yeah james bond is dead i knew connery didn't want to do it anymore but this is yeah. a dream you think well what, what are they get where, where where's this going to go yeah and then obviously you have got your you know, lovely sequence of him being buried at sea and yeah uh and the and the, and the thing being picked up by frogman and taken to the um is the queen mary isn't it it's the hms 10b it's the hms 10 is it yeah why does he fake his death Um, well, um, so that he can go undercover and they won't suspect it's him. But everywhere he walks, he says his name. Yeah, it's sort of, I mean, it was one of those Bond films, uh, like a lot of them, where it's kind of, let's not worry too much about Mm. the reason why things happen. Let's just think of a lot of fantastic things that could happen. (laughs) And sort of stick them together, and in the moment, people will will probably go for it. Yeah,
3: Um, yeah. Just again, it's an over elaborate gesture because M basically says, "Well, that should keep all the people that are after you quiet for a while." It's like, yeah, but
2: until you turn up (laughs) as the world's most unconvincing Japanese fisherman. (laughs) 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 No, this is six foot two with a Scottish accent.
3: (laughs) God. That would be like the, the Japanese version of the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> <laughs> Loads of people saw it, but they can't prove it. This is interesting, though, because I'd like your perspective on this, because this screenplay is written by Roald Dahl.
2: Uh, part, yes, partly.
3: Partly. But basically, he had to chuck out the source material, and it was the first film where they kind of heavily deviated from the book. Yeah, and they had to. I mean, mm. it is it is a most peculiar book. He said it was a travel log, essentially.
2: Well, a lot of his books were, mm. you know, and he, he really found it hard towards the end he'd been churning them out once a year Mm. and he'd had a lot of energy when he started his but his health was going yeah he suffered very badly from depression and with his heart problems that that exacerbated everything Mm. and he was just on this treadmill of 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 thinking what what's bond going to do now how do i top what i did before and obviously when you get all those expectations every time building Mm. up it get it gets very difficult and he also had he the would, Kevin you know, McClory business
3: as well, didn't he? Yes, he had that whole thing of, of him down. Of,
2: yeah, of of going to court and Kevin McClory, parading around with a wheelbarrow full of full of cash. Yep. <laughs> and uh, and so, but I mean, he always did. He recycled his own life and things he'd done. Mm. As he as he obviously worked for the newspapers as a, um, a travel writer and um, in charge of the travel desk, mm. and. He had had this trip to Japan and he'd met these people out there and he basically just, just used that and tried to cobble together some kind of a, a plot around it. A, a plot doesn't make a lot of sense,
1: mm.
2: um, but it gets into really weird territory when he finally goes to this, the island where the villain is, who mm. is calling himself a great Bond villain name,
1: mm.
2: um, which doesn't appear in um, the film. No. Dr Shatterhand.
3: Yes, which was the rumoured name of No Time to Die when it was being made.
2: And what, what Shatterhand? Mm, that was well, the... That's a great, uh, is a good title for a Bond film. It isn't is, it? it is. And so this there's, there's this guy parading around in an ancient sort of samurai armour mm. who's built uh, a garden of death which is full of these deadly plants and animals and fish. I mean the only part of that that survives in the film is the, is the tank full of piranhas Mm. um and it's this sort of suicide place where the the japanese people who want to kill themselves turn up on the island and um something there will kill them and uh, you know ian fleming himself it it, it is it's a slightly more exotic version but uh, you know uh, ian fleming himself i think his state of mind i think he was in some ways sort of slightly pining for this mm. in his, in his d- depression or acidity mm. uh, as, as he described it sometimes and you, you sense there's a very strong death wish in, in Fleming himself and it, it does run through all the books because in all of the books Bond gets captured about two thirds of the way through mm. very badly tortured by the Bond villain and that's always the bit that you think Fleming enjoyed writing the most <laughs> and then there's a rather implausible escape and things sort of happen a bit quickly after that, but you sort of think the bit he was interested in was him being tortured and essentially dying, mm. and he did kill him off in, in, in um from Russia with love and mm. brought him back. And and you, you you all the way through he had his own sort of obsession with 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 death, which comes out in this in this in the book. And then, of course, uh, Doctor Shatterhand turns out to be Blofeld in disguise. Yeah, who uh, takes him to his base in a in a volcano. He does have a volcano base. That's the other thing they kept. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's helped to get there by the the Japanese, the 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 women who the pearl fishers mm. again, which is kept in the yeah. in in the film. And and he's tortured by being sat on a chair over this. Um, sort of hole in the volcano which erupts with molten lava every 15 minutes uh, uh, and he manages again to escape and blocks up the hole jumps onto uh, the rope hanging off a balloon floats off the volcano blows up and blows everyone to smithereens but not before he's shot in the side of the head and he falls into the sea apparently dead again mm. and in the book there's the famous obituary that M writes, hmm. um, thinking he's dead. And that is the only time that that Fleming really gave us any backstory to James Bond. Right. It's a couple of pages. It tells us that his father was Scottish, his mother was Swiss, that they died in a climbing accident when he was about 12. He went to Eton. He um, had an incident involving one of the maids, had to <sighs> leave early. And, uh, and so all the stuff that I later used for, for writing the young james bond books he's in that's all it is a couple of pages and the scottish there.
3: heritage comes from him liking connery doesn't it yes mm. he
2: hated him at first when he first yes. saw him because mm. because you know he was this as he saw it this sort of uncultured uh, scottish thug mm. um but once um
3: terence young terence
2: young spruced him up and kind mm. of modeled him slightly on himself and took him to his tailors uh, um he uh yes he he did pull off that that suavity that was required somebody and i can't remember who it was it, i don't think it was fleming but somebody involved was shown the sort of test tape of of connery and said what do you think um would he uh would he be okay and he and he said, uh, "Well, run a lawnmower over his eyebrows, and then I think you've got your bond."
3: <laughs> <laughs> because Diana Broccoli said that he, which she gave the famous line about him walking like a panther.
2: Yeah, and he did. I mean, he mm. moved mm. beautifully. I mean, he was he was an exquisite uh, example of masculinity, but but nowhere near how Fleming imagined him and described him in the books, which is closer to a sort of David Niven figure. Mm. Um, or or Hoagy Carmichael, um, Ian Fleming often says he looked like, mm. um, who is n- but not very much like Sean Connery. No, um, but he was so lucky to get Connery, and oh. he was very lucky actually that they didn't make these films in the fifties when the books were written. Yeah, it, Fleming wanted to; he was desperate to get yes. um, uh, a film made. But if they'd been made in the fifties, it would have been an awful clunky, black and white British film with some awful wooden actor like Stuart Granger or someone. Mm. Um, And that would have been the end of Bond. But the 60s worked so well. And and Connery had that great... He was able to be suave and look fantastic in a suit, but he had that animal quality to him. And you could imagine he could actually beat the shit out of someone and and kill them. And, you know, most of our actors in this country, we don't have a lot of English um, action actors no most of the guys we had particularly in the 60s there would tend to be scottish welsh irish whatever um and and you know the english actors played the nazi villains Mm. yeah (laughs) but but tough guys of which we have few and far between often not english at all so yes as you say fleming adapted and adopted that scottish aspect of connery and and built it into his backstory
3: i suspect maybe he'd have liked roger moore he would because he's 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 quite niveny
2: yes i mean he did he roger moore is probably closer to what bond is Mm. in the books except you know he just didn't quite have that feeling of being a cold killer and a and a a there's the famous story (laughs) where they were filming um live and let die and Mm. and it's the first action sequence now remind me who's the director
3: uh guy hamilton
2: guy hamilton yeah Mm. so he says to um Roger, he says, "Okay, uh, we're going to start from here, and you're going to run to the caves over there." And Roger says, "No, I don't think I'm going to do that." He says, "What? No, no, you 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 run from here to the caves. I'll I'll go over to the caves, but uh, I don't think I'll I'll run, Guy." He says, "Well, you've got to run. You're being chased." He says, "No, I'm not going to run." He says, well, "Why not?" He says, "I'll show you." And so Roger Moore demonstrated demonstrated his run, and and Guy Hamilton said yeah okay so you'll walk <laughs> you'll walk from here to the case roger that'll be fine so roger moore only ever sauntered because he did not have an athletic run that's right shall we say <laughs> like sean connery um and it, you know it fitted him it fitted his style perfectly you it know did. he wanders oh. around his cre- suit never gets crumpled and, and uh, it
3: really worked for him when he was older because it meant the stunt man could do all of that for him yes <laughs> So it was fine <laughs>
0: Than that. Friends with friends, and we're on Twitter at FriendsWF.
3: Um, so, so Bond ends up in he he ends up in M's office and um, on the boat. And something I love about Bond films, particularly around this era and in the seventies as well, is that wherever he goes, um, M's office always gets shifted to that location, no matter how in a, in, impractical <laughs> it may be. Could be in a yes. cave, and they've still put a filing cabinet in the wall.
2: Yes. Well, that, uh, that sort of harks back, I suppose, to the, the British Empire, doesn't it? Where mm. the, the British civil service would set up in the, in sweltering. India or the Sudan or somewhere and it would still be tea at four o'clock and yes. uh, a picture of Queen Victoria on the wall. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but yeah, I love this because, um, yeah, this is when Em says, this will give us some time away from your enemies. And he tells, he says, I you know, I'm, something you wouldn't get in the Moore era because he says to Connery, I assume you know already what's happened. And Connery just says, yes. Whereas in the Moore era, he'd then regurgitate what has happened back to us in case we forgot. <laughs> And um, he says, "I haven't oh, quite been able to follow it exactly." Yeah, because quite often you can't, um, and you shouldn't, and you shouldn't. No, you shouldn't worry about that. It's like that bit in Austin Powers where Michael York says, "And you at home, don't worry about all this." <laughs> <laughs> that is a essentially... well. There's a
2: great bit in um, in in North by Northwest, mm. the, the the Hitchcock film, and, yeah. and Hitchcock was, as you know, he was one of the first choices that Ian Fleming tried to get to do. Yeah. James Bond, and, and, and Hitchcock toyed with the idea because those sort of classic sort of 50s era uh, crime films he did, action films, ha- had something of James Bond, you know, with Harry Grant, again, as a, as a possible James Bond, yep. in a smart suit, getting caught up with all sorts of baddies. And there's a fantastic bit in North by Northwest where he, um, he lands at the airport and Leo G. Carroll, who is the sort of M figure, mm-hmm. the head of the Secret Service, comes over to him. And he says, I'll tell you exactly what's going on. And uh, everything he says, there's a, there's a huge roar of an, of the aeroplane mm. over the top. So, so they're walking away and you cannot hear a single word. <laughs> and and Hitchcock said, you know, it's a MacGuffin. You don't need to know. It doesn't matter. Yeah. As long as you're convinced that everybody on on screen knows what's going on, you're happy. You don't need to know. It's all out oh, of bollocks anyway. <laughs> yeah, we're all
3: just waiting for the next car chase or punch up, aren't we? So Yes yeah well that's reminded me another fleming choice i i think this is correct another person he once wanted to play james bond was noel coward
2: well he wanted noel coward to play dr no oh that's it i
3: beg your pardon yeah, yeah.
2: because they were they were neighbors and great friends mm. they were neighbors on um in jamaica they yeah. had houses quite close to each other and they used to hang out a lot um Two very, very different people, obviously. Very different. But, but uh, often that, that's a good way to make best friends. But mm. yes, he um, uh, he really wanted him to play Doctor No. And he would have been fantastic as Doctor No.
3: He would have been great.
2: But he sent, he, he sent back a telegram some, saying something like, no, 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 no. <laughs>
3: that's right. <laughs> that was in reference to him having to wear Chinese makeup, obviously. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he's, he's going to go to Japan. He's got three weeks We've got a ticking clock here. We've got three weeks before the Russians are also going to launch a capsule as well. And, uh, and he reminds Money Penny that he's going to be all right in Japan because he took Oriental languages at Cambridge. Yes. Bit of a humble Which I brag. Think is,
2: is, is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember if that's in. I don't think that is in the Fleming, but it could well have been. It's the sort of. Um, yeah, why the hell would he do Oriental languages at Cambridge? I, I don't there know. You go.
3: Maybe the teacher was nice. Yeah, <laughs> tasted different. Exactly. <laughs> well, this might be a Roll Dahl thing.
2: Yeah, it could well be. I mean, it's it's really interesting to know what what um, what Dahl Dahl brought to the film. Yeah. Because uh, there's the other writer, isn't there, who who actually, I think, generally came up with a rough storyline for it.
3: Mm. I can't remember who it was because it wasn't Dick Maybomb because he was busy elsewhere. Which I is why they turned to Dahl. I can't remember who it was, though.
2: Yeah. And, of course, Roald Dahl famously did um, the the screenplay of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yes. And invented the child catcher. That's right. Which didn't come from Fleming.
3: No. And it's so Roald Dahl, it hurts. <laughs> Considering yes. what books he would go on to write later. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the password he used to give to his contact is I love you, which is fitting. Which suggests he doesn't know Bond very well.
2: <laughs> yeah he's gonna he's going to uh, he's gonna recruit a lot of women that way he
3: certainly is his password <laughs> should be something like i'll drive you to a clinic
2: <laughs> so he
3: goes to tokyo to a sumo wrestling match <laughs> and a lady sits next to him and uh he, t- he turns to her and says i love you and she says i've got a car outside and i just thought dogging in those days was <laughs> so uncomplicated <laughs> so civilized uh, and then she takes him to Dicko Henderson, who's possibly the—I don't know—the most sort of a lot going on behind the eyes person in all of the Bond films I've ever seen.
2: Yeah, and 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 that was based on the guy who pretty much showed him round Japan. God. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, as played of course by Charles Gray uh-huh. in in the film. Who the next time Seanery came back, Charles Gray was playing um, Blofeld. Blofeld, and nothing is said about it.
3: Nothing is said. That's the, Bond is built, I've always said this, Bond is a franchise that is completely built on denial because you can have Shane Rimmer in your films a hundred times and it doesn't matter, but quok, <laughs> Bond can look different from one film to the next. Yep. You're just supposed to go, that's fine. And, and you do.
2: Yeah, you know, As yeah. long as you keep the key elements each mm. time you... You resurrect him you can sort of do what you do what you like but um yeah, Joe Don Baker plays a villain in one
3: film like Char- the opposite of Charles gray the next film is a good guy
2: yeah yeah
3: I don't <laughs> I honestly don't care
2: well you see what pff, <laughs>
3: excuse me
2: mm.
3: <coughs> just do one of my characters <laughs> you're Bob flabbing um, there for a yeah. minute. <laughs> oh that's got it
2: um I mean, what fun it must have been. Though, oh, God. Can making you imagine? those films at the Harvey. Mm-hmm. Because they they were a, a family. You know, it was the Broccoli family involved very much in making it. And they had mm-hmm. the same technical people back each time. Yeah. And, and, and you know, they'd, they'd just get back the same cast members. If they'd enjoyed them before, get them back in, give them another part. Quite often the same the, director as
3: well. Yeah. yeah.
2: And, you know, because uh, I think uh, Peter Hunt started as, as the editor as well. Yeah, he? yeah. Um, and so, just you know, let's all get together and let's have fun making a Bond film. Sadly, in the Connery era, the, the only person who didn't seem to be having any fun was, was poor old Sean Connery, yeah, who had to sort of be the public face of it all and bear the brunt of it and not be left alone for a minute. And it, it, it's a shame, but but I actually Roger Moore seems to have just hugely enjoyed
3: oh, it. He loved every minute of it. Yeah, yeah.
2: just just and uh, just got on and did it and great. Where we where are we going this year? Oh, <laughs> excellent. Oh, I think there's a very nice hotel there. Right? <laughs> so, I mean, his book that he wrote about oh. the making of
3: um... "Live and Let Die." Oh, it's brilliant! It's so it? good. Yes, yes. You, as you say, you just get the distinct impression that he loved every second of being Bond, mm. and you get that impression because he carried on doing it until he was. Even he honestly says, "I shouldn't have done View to a Kill," but I just enjoy he was, doing it. Uh, so he was he was fifty eight. Yeah, fifty eight. This is true, And he'd had that kind of weird facelift between <laughs> uh, Octopusy and View to a Kill where it looks like he's seen a death. Because he's had his eyes done so they look more wide. <laughs> yes. And he looks really disconcerting in View to a Kill.
2: Permanently surprised.
3: Permanently surprised, yeah. That, he just keeps remembering he's still doing it and he should be in the last <laughs> of the summer wine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we should probably mention that as well. You mentioned it about Connery, but he miserable at this point because... um if you watch the uh, documentary that's on the disc for uh, "You Only Live Twice," there's a little thing about them going to Japan to film, yeah. this, and he is mobbed everywhere yeah. they go, like he's all of the Beatles in one.
2: Yeah, exactly, and and, and that's that's impossible for anyone to mm. to to cope with, um, and to be, and you know he just started to think, you know, I'm I'm just an action doll really, and mm. turn up and people scream and want a bit of me, and you know he did want to do other things, he wanted to, to do proper acting mm. stretch himself a bit and he did he made some he, he fantastic films yeah. um around the time but it it, it it was a shame that he that he was so sour about the whole bond process
3: mm. he did come back and people would say oh but that was for the money but in diamonds are forever he gave all the money to the scottish uh, arts council mm. so it wasn't as, as, as cynical as it would seem i mean never seen ever again yes but <laughs> um, Diamonds of Forever, certainly not. I think he mm-hmm. did that just to give some money back to causes he thought were worthy. Mm.
2: But Never Say Never again. I think he partly did as a way to get back at the yeah at the Eon Eon
3: guys. I think so. To get in bed with McClory is quite a yeah a middle finger, isn't it? Really? <laughs> yeah. Considering what totally. he's put them all through. Anyway. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, where are we anyway. up to? We're at Dicko Henderson uh, telling them that uh, he's. Uh, Got some lovely vodka from a fellow at the Russian embassy who gives him vodka, and then he says, among certain other things. Which is such a line to drop in.
2: Well, one assumes it's secrets rather than... um, (laughs) I don't know. uh, Drugs or... I'm thinking pornography. Well, yeah, or maybe it's adrenochrome. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe this is the start (laughs) of the whole QAnon
3: conspiracy. I think it is. Maybe the guy at the Russian embassy (laughs) was JFK Jr. Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, he's a, he's a very interesting character, to say the least. And um, he, unfortunately, is living in one of those uh, Japanese houses with paper walls because he's a, yes. he says to Bond, yeah, I think the British government are right. I don't think the Russians are involved. I think some sort of higher power is involved. And he's just about to reveal what it is when he gets stabbed in the back, literally. Through
2: the, through the paper wall, yeah. Yeah. You'd think as a top spy guy with uh, deadly secrets he maybe wouldn't live in a house with paper walls. (laughs) No,
3: no, it's it's that old expression, isn't it? People who live in houses with paper walls shouldn't keep secrets.
2: (laughs) Shouldn't buy adrenochrome off the Russians. (laughs) Uh, uh, But, but of course, it does lead to that fantastic fight, of course, with um, uh, Bond and the the enemy agent smashing through all the walls. Um, Yes. uh, Brilliant. Again, it's just these sort of, let's, let's stick another
3: set piece in. Oh, it's great. Although it's very heavy folied Uh, it sounds like they're both wearing horse's hooves it's really loud and also the guy who's fighting the giant guy is a guy called Peter Mavia I may be pronouncing that wrong who is a wrestler called the Flying Hawaiian who is Dwayne the Rock Johnson's um, grandfather really? yes
2: well there is a fantastic pub quiz fact yeah I didn't know that
3: one yeah he beats him up with a sofa it's like he's at DFS and he's saying buy this sofa yeah, yeah. yeah he sort of uses a battering ram doesn't he yeah it's great it's really great, and also Connery looks very natty in spats. <laughs> I think she'd always wear spats.
2: Yeah. I mean, was that a, was that some kind of a Japanese thing that was going oh, on right, there? I've no what?
3: Idea. And also, the guy's got a coronavirus mask on, which is very uh, per, you know pertinent. For what's it, you amazing. see
2: all these conspiracies; they all go back. They there. all go back. Yeah, QAnon. Yeah, it's on. all
3: linked. This is where they first launched the Jaina virus, as Trump would call it. <laughs> um but yeah he has that fight he, he finally knocks him out with a giant statue and then goes for the safe and uh with with, with his gadget from q, q um now q's only in this briefly but he's obviously got a gadget previously to open the safe but unfortunately the alarm goes off as soon as he opens it so well done q you fat-handed bellend <laughs> <laughs> didn't think of any alarms did you when you designed that
2: yeah but he he does turn up with a mini helicopter that's true he does bring. So, know, yeah, we'll get there. I yeah. We have
3: to talk about that. Um, then she, uh, he gets picked up outside by the Japanese agent from the Suno match. Um, she takes him to a place of safety, and then we get the bit that when they'd always show like Bond compilation clips when I was little, they'd always show this bit where he falls through the floor and goes down the slide. Yes. And you get the wonderful green screen of or blue screen as it was then probably of Connery's face looking, uh, <laughs> and then it cuts to the stunt man going down the slide, <laughs> uh, and then he lands on that chair, and then we meet. Tiger Tanaka,
2: yes, excellent. Who, who again? Like Dicko Henderson, is is in the book? Yes, yeah. as the as the yes, the head of the the Japanese secret
3: service. He's he's a great character. Even he though, is. Yeah. He is a
2: good character, and mm. there are so, uh, quite a lot of sort of dodgy um, uh, racial stereotypes going on in this film. But he's not particularly. He's he's just presented as pretty cool, isn't
3: he? Yeah. He's a cool guy with his own train. He's got yeah. he's got ninjas and ladies. Yep. He knows what he's doing. He's what he's dubbed by Robert Rieti, Uh who did Largo in Thunderball and many other. He also does Blofeld in You Only Live Twice. But every time he talks, the first thing he does is he does this like disconcerting laugh, and it's the <laughs> exact same one from at the beginning of Fury's Only, where Bond is being chased by Blofeld in that helicopter.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if it if it works, it works. The, the the great thing about um. Is He called Adolfo Celli, the guy who played um, yeah Largo,
3: yeah
2: he played Largo mm. is uh on the back of um uh, Thunderball mm. later on they had the BBC did this hugely expensive series of the Borgias mm-hmm. and he played um Chief Borgia a uh, Cheare Borger I think um and nobody realized the BBC that he'd been entirely dubbed. <laughs> In oh, of course! And he's in the Borges, and you cannot understand a single <laughs> word he says.
3: This happened with Gert Frobe in uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang as well. Because... But they must
2: have known because that was made by. by yeah, Leon.
3: but he was so bad at English in Goldfinger that he he was dubbed immediately because no one could understand what he was saying. I guess he sorted himself out a bit, but yeah, to have
2: think... and to have the greatest Bond line. Oh. Actually, it's not you
3: that said it. Oh. Yeah, it's Michael Collins. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they, they, he goes back to see Tanaka and welcomes him to Japan and says he looks very well for a dead man. <laughs> and mm. then Bond says, uh, Can you prove you're pleased to see me? And I thought, Oh God, where's this going? But he says, I <laughs> love you. So there we go. Ah. So then he, they hand him the paperwork from Masato's safe and ask it to be an, analyzed. But he mentions that he ma- saw something about liquid oxygen, which makes rocket fuel.
2: Yes, and and nothing else apparently. Nothing else. That's the, you see that th- yeah, that must be that. Yeah, it's not for making cocktails <laughs> or fancy Heston Blumenthal uh, <laughs> uh, dishes. <laughs> mm.
3: So then he says, "Well, I've got my own train because it's it, it, it's more sensible than going out on the streets at night."
2: Yeah, your own underground tube
3: network. Yeah, like the post office. Yes. Yeah. I've that's...
2: always wanted to go on that. I, 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 oh, I, I in fact used a bit of that in one of my my bond books because mm. the, uh, that was when uh, I, my books set in the 30s and that the underground pneumatic railway system was was working then mm. where they, they used to kind of tube railways and they'd have a blast of air and the carriage would be sh- shunted along and so i put i did put that in um in double or die uh and you can now there is the, the, the museum where you can go down and, and have a little ride on one of the trains Uh um, and I keep meaning to do it but I think it's all
3: closed for COVID at the moment of course yeah that's a very tight area to have COVID people in it <laughs> you don't want to tamper with the mail literally Um <clears throat> so they go on his train and then they're looking at this photo and it's got a highly detailed micro dot that says it basically says this photo was taken by American tourists don't worry we killed her <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Uh, (laughs) but he says, and Bon says, can you identify the uh, cove which is taken, and he says, oh yeah, in time, and then he says, well, can you get me a meeting with Asato, and then the next day, uh, well, no, sorry, that evening, they go into Tiger's living room in kimonos, Mm -hmm. and uh, four young women in underwear congregate around them and remove their robes, and Tanaka keeps calling him Bonsan, which I like. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, I like it too. It. It's good. And then we get the wonderful exchange where he tells them uh, in Japan, uh, you know, men come first, women come second.
2: Yes. Yeah. So James says, "Yeah, well, I think I might move here. Yeah, and then he says... For <laughs> that effect.
3: Something like that, yeah. And then he says that the girls are fascinated with their hair on your chest. And Bond says, another Japanese proverb, bird never make nest in bear tree. <laughs> There you go. Uh, but, but there's a t- fact here that one of the women in this scene is played by uh, Yasuko Nagazumi, who is the mother of Mickey Birani from the band Lush, who was pregnant with Mickey at the time. So technically, she's a Bond girl oh, in this. yeah
2: really? Yeah. Full of, the, full of all the facts. I'm full of all the facts. Yeah.
3: None of them Also I Although
2: I did just briefly look up who actually did... The other, the other writer was Harold Jack Bloom. Harold oh, Jack Bloom, OK. Yeah, he claims retrospectively that he came up with all the plot but uh,
3: who, knows? who well, knows they must have liked this plot because they used it two more times
2: what the, something the, the villains up something to something
3: as, <laughs> well you get, you get Spy who Love Me where a boat eats another boat and yes. the Moonraker they steal a shuttle off the top of another shuttle, it's not quite yeah. the same but it's sort of the same
2: there's something about that image mm. for me says Roald Dahl you think I think it's sort of the, the sort of quirky quirky thingy that, that would have come from his head.
3: I mean, the bit later on where Bond has to burp his way out of the volcano, I think that's definitely him. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes. The more childish
3: parts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's end of part one of this episode of Smurshpod. We'll be back later in the week with part two, so please stick around, but in the meantime, why not like, subscribe, review, enjoy, share, tell everybody you like and, you know, why not even buy Thunderbook? Hey, why not? See you next time.
2: Keza McDonald and I'm Ellie Gibson and this is our new show Extra Life. It's basically us talking to funny people about video games.
1: When I was a kid it was Grand Theft World. There's Sinclair ZX Spectrum.
2: We talk about the games people remember from when they were kids and what they're playing now. Guitar Hero.
3: The Last of Us 2. Combat on the Atari 2600.
2: No I love Pokemon. Anyway find us anywhere you get your
1: podcasts.
3: Extra, Extra Life. Life. GreatPigOwl.com.